1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture.
0: Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Wow, what an interesting night in Iowa last night. I've, I've got a feeling that in Iowa, the old term that we often say these days uh, and have said for a while, there's an app for that. That uh, may have a whole new meaning in the state of Iowa after after the chaos of last night, and we're still waiting for the results of the Iowa Caucuses. We're going to talk about that on today's program. Jarrett Renshaw, political reporter for Reuters, will check in uh, from Iowa and uh, his thoughts. And covering that situation last night, as we still wait for the results. Uh, I've got a feeling Jarrett didn't get much sleep, uh, but he'll check in with us a little bit later on. We're going to talk with Steve Meyer, an economist with Kearns and Associates, about the uh, the pork industry and the pork market. What impact? Could this uh, coronavirus have on Chinese purchases of ag products from the U.S. in general, pork products in particular? And we'll talk more about that with Joe Glober, former USDA chief economist. He'll join us to look at the whole situation with China and how this coronavirus really could delay even more when China starts uh, uh, buying according to that phase one trade deal so we'll get into all that a little bit later on but join us now is Todd Neely reporter for DTN hi Todd uh, I bet you're glad that you weren't covering the Iowa caucuses last night
2: hi <laughs> uh, good morning Mike yeah I, it's definitely an interesting situation
0: yeah and Raises a lot of questions going forth uh, with this uh, campaign year, this election year. But uh, we'll we'll save that discussion right. for later. We've got some other things to look at. One, uh, farmers should be expecting uh, the latest uh, tranche of those MFP payments soon, right?
2: Yeah, uh, USDA yesterday uh, announced that they're sending out the third and final tranche in in this uh, in this series. There's been a total of three, and I think the I think the amount in total is about sixteen billion. Um, And so this latest round, I'm not really sure about how much that's going to include. But, uh, yeah, they're they're supposed to have checks in the mail by the end of the week. And so, you know, why not? We'll start 2020 with some new trade deals, and and why not get a check in the mail?
0: And you have to wonder, one of the stories we'll be watching this year, will there be another round of these payments? Right now, they're not saying there will be, but – if this China deal gets delayed and we're getting close to November and it really hasn't kicked in very much, you have to wonder if there might not be more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Mike, uh, these deals, you know, they don't kick in until the middle of the year, you know, somewhere in the summertime in, in some situations. And so, yeah, you know, with coronavirus out there and all these things that, uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot from the Chinese about their need for flexibility, um, on a lot of these ad purchases and other things. And so, uh, yeah, you know, while it's good to have that agreement, it definitely it definitely raises a lot of questions about whether the Chinese are actually going to execute what uh, what they've agreed to or not. And I think, uh, you know, we're probably going to know quite a bit more come middle of the year, May, you know, May June somewhere in there. But it definitely raises a lot of questions.
0: Meanwhile, ag in the courtroom, the bear trial is uh, kind of on hold. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know we've got a we've got what is basically the fourth uh, glyphosate case. Uh, this one in St. Louis. Uh, you know, where there's been a lot of talk about Bayer uh, maybe putting together some sort of a national settlement. You know, we've seen three other court cases that that Bayer lost on this, and so they kind of see the trend going here. Uh, you know, they've had to pay out tens of millions of dollars to, to plaintiffs. Uh, this latest case involves three uh, three plaintiffs in, in the St. Louis area. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, as we go forward here, I think we're going to probably know relatively soon whether, uh, whether a deal can be made, uh, you know, they've got a really good mediator involved, Ken Feinberg, who was basically involved with other big lawsuits, including September 11th victims and a lot of other big time cases. And so, uh, they've got the right person involved and I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, but, uh, decided and the courts decided that they're just going to put this, uh, this trial which was basically near the end they're gonna put it on hold indefinitely uh, depending pending a possible settlement.
0: So we'll see what happens there. Meanwhile more AG in the courtroom this time a big legal case in Kansas.
2: Yeah uh, you know Mike we've seen uh, we've seen a lot of AG gag laws uh, not doing so well in court. Uh, you know most recently Iowa's had a couple go-arounds they've had two different versions of the law that, that have been held up in court. Uh, and now we're seeing that in Kansas, uh, you know, the, the Kansas law lost. It was found un- to be unconstitutional in some in some respects, violating free speech rights. Uh, and then we saw recently, uh, you know, animal rights groups that actually won this case. They've asked for a, a permanent uh, injunction against that law down there. And, you know, uh, when you look across the country, ag laws have not done very well. Uh, we've had 17 states that had attempts to actually pass the laws and, and failed at it. Uh, and then we've got. Currently, we've got laws that are in effect in Montana, North Dakota, Missouri, Arkansas, and Alabama. Uh, and those are the last last several laws that are actually standing, and I suspect that uh, we'll probably see some other lawsuits play out there. But these cases have not uh, not done so well when it comes to, to ag's uh, situation.
0: Even more ag in the courtroom. We expect the waters of the U.S. new rule to be challenged in court.
2: Yeah, it's definitely headed there. Uh, you know, I think... Uh, Typically, cases like this uh, where there's going to be lawsuits, they have about 30 days after a rule is finalized, 30 to 60 days. And so I suspect here in the next month or so we're going to see a challenge. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to center a lot on uh, a lot on the significant nexus question that we saw from the 2015 rule. Uh, And it's going to be quite complicated. I don't think that's going to be resolved anytime soon. You know, as we saw with the 2015 rule, uh, it's going to take quite some time to play out in court.
0: Next week I'll be at the National Ethanol Conference. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the results, the impact of the court rulings right. on uh, the small refinery exemptions. We wait to see if that changes EPA's approach to granting these exemptions.
2: Yeah, you know, there's never an end when it comes to this to this issue. And I think uh, you're right. It's it's really in EPA's hands at this point. I mean, I think the courts are pretty clear on it. I think the Trump administration itself, President Trump, has been Fairly clear on it, um, and so now we wait.
0: The lawyers seem to be doing well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, if you're yeah, looking there's, for there's us, never. A... Yeah, when you're looking for a segment of the economy or, or a job that uh, you know, a career that might be doing well, there's always seems to be a demand uh, in the legal world, right?
2: That's right. Never too late for a career change
0: yeah well it would be for me i don't think i could study up enough at this point to, to make it i couldn't when i was younger and i doubt that i could do it now but for for those uh, thinking yeah. about it they might want to look at it all right todd good to talk Absolutely. with you thanks a lot
2: all right thank you mike
0: dtn reporter todd neely well i mentioned next week i'll be at the national ethanol conference that will be in houston but this week i'll be headed to texas to san antonio And I'll be broadcasting Thursday and Friday of this week from the Cattle Industry Convention. We'll be talking about uh, some of the accomplishments of this past year, some big things like trade, but also looking ahead to 2020 and beyond. What are the priorities of the critical issues that uh, the NCBA and the cattle industry will be working on? We'll be discussing those Thursday and Friday of this week from the Cattle Industry Convention in San Antonio. But a lot of attention right now on Iowa. A lot of that attention not real favorable the way things have been going with the Iowa caucuses. Jarrett Renshaw, political reporter for Reuters, checks in from Iowa. His thoughts on what's uh, happening there. That's next on AOA.
3: Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trade systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up
4: whether you're on the road or in the field you need more than typical number two diesel you need a heavy duty diesel like cenex premium diesel it comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn it's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as four and a half percent and fuel economy by up to five percent so ask yourself if you could be any diesel which diesel would you be Senex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the National Pork Producers Council has digital ads in the Des Moines airport saying pork, it comes from a pig, not Silicon Valley. And pork, you can't make it from plants unless you feed them to a pig first. Let's talk about it with Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us obviously uh, the pork industry responding to all these imitation products on the marketplace now using the name of pork.
3: Absolutely you know this is <laughs> we feel probably the most brazen uh, misuse of a term so far. Uh, by this this new plant-based industry. I don't think there's really any confusion out there that pork comes from a pig.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Kristol. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Inogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we thought we'd be talking
0: today about the results of the Iowa caucuses, but uh, who knew... (laughs) what was going to happen last night, and I think a lot of people are still asking, what did happen? Jarrett Renshaw, political reporter for Reuters, joins us now. Jarrett, I gave up about midnight. I would imagine you didn't get much sleep last night.
3: Uh, I did not. I did not. Yeah, I don't know what time I, I, I gave up, but
0: uh, you know, I was
3: uh, at the Pete Buttigieg uh, campaign rally. Uh, he, uh, I think he waited a little longer than most to give his speech, and then, uh, then hung around there and still still waiting Mike. <laughs> still
0: so waiting. weird i mean you had you had the candidates basically getting up giving victory speeches but no one knew if they really won or not
3: yeah now i, I thought uh, i mean if you're going to try to parse or read between some of the lines you know i think pete's speech was like a, of all of them was a true victory speech i i, I think they feel pretty confident um but there are they're an eternal data that they finished one two um Again, we're we're reading between some lines, which, which is sometimes dangerous. But I, my guess right now is Biden didn't finish as high as he would like. Um, so we'll see when the real results come out. But just, just kind of uh, assessing how they're
0: responding to the news and,
3: and how they're taking it, um, I, I think uh, it's fair to draw some conclusions.
0: Yeah, the tone of Biden's remarks and then what came out from his campaign a little bit later would make it seem that uh, they weren't happy with the results and immediately started, you know, questioning the process and and everything. Sure, so that sure. that that was kind of a tip off, wasn't it?
3: Yes, no doubt. I think he's the, obviously he's the only they're the only campaign openly calling in to question the results. So I think that that gives you a clue to what they think the results are. Clearly, if they think they were in the first place, they wouldn't be uh, they wouldn't be questioning the results. They would be doing quite the opposite. So. I think it's fair I think it's a fair assessment
0: so everybody will spin this uh however they they want to uh but it would seem like it was a a big night for President Trump uh and in a way maybe even for Bloomberg because he wasn't even in Iowa and so maybe that was good for him not to be there as it turns out
3: yeah I think you're right uh, uh certainly uh Trump campaign took advantage of this you know in terms of their messaging like but- you know, Democrats can't even run a, a, a caucus. How do you expect them to run health care? Stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, and, and obviously he got overwhelming support, which was not totally expected. Uh, but on the flip side, like you said, Bloomberg, now, as of right now, regardless of what the outcome is, it, the Iowa is a watered-down victory um, and, and may not even be a victory at this point. I mean, the country has moved on. Um, and I think the ultimate beneficiary could be Bloomberg, right? Or, or Biden, you know, if he gets a second chance here. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll know more later today. I mean, I think the results still matter. Um, but I think they think that the real, the real victim here could be Iowa's economy, uh, which, uh, come four years from now, it's not hard to imagine. They don't, they don't get the first, uh, in the nation, uh, voting. Um, given some some of the concerns early on about the diversity of voters and and then this. I I think that's that's a real likelihood at the moment.
0: Yeah, because the Iowa caucuses were already being heavily criticized going into last night, and this will even add more to that. So you're right. It kind of brings into question the future of the Iowa caucuses, uh, whether they'll be held or how they'll be held or when they'll be held. Those are all questions to be answered yet.
3: Yeah, I mean I I I, I, look, I think of myself as an example, you know, I've been in Iowa a bunch of times. You know, I I I eat dinner, I get a hotel room, um I get a rental car, I fly a plane, you know, and that's just one person of thousands that come here um for a year. You know, so that's a real boon to the economy for Iowa. Um at the lo- particularly the long runway, right? And um Senator Ernst and Grassley issued a joint statement today uh, talking about the the importance of the elections and the caucus clearly they're trying to preserve and make sure that this happens every four years you know you get the iowa state fair people come in i mean just there's just countless events on the iowa calendar that generate a strong economy or have an economic benefit uh for the state um, and if that goes away it's you know that's a pretty big deal
0: yeah, there's a lot at stake there—the the economic impact, the exposure, the national exposure that it that it gives Iowa. Uh, all that could be lost. We'll see what happens. We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw, political reporter for Reuters. So, Jarrett, as as we look at this, I, whoever had—even if they had announced a winner last night—that. Uh, momentum might have been short-lived anyway because you have the State of the Union speech tonight and it's on to New Hampshire and you got the impeachment news and all that kind of hitting right here at the same time. But, uh, you know, now it is on to New Hampshire and it seems like whoever winds up being declared the winner here, even though there's some value to that, obviously, it's just not what it might have been had it uh, gone as expected last night as far as an, uh, uh, an announcement at a usual time when it would have at least given a little bit of time in the news cycle for people to talk about that.
3: No doubt. You, 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 it's not hard to imagine a scenario if Pete Buttigieg wins Iowa, that at 9.30 p.m. Central Time here, he's on he's on the screen declaring victory. Um, he, he spent a lot of time and money in this state, and, and it was all for that moment, right? Um, you win, you get in front of the cameras, you get people to give you a second look. Um, and, and so particularly for somebody like him, it was extremely important to have that moment. Um, and he won't, even if he does end up being a winner, even if he ends up being you know, half a percentage point away from Bernie Sanders, that, that's still a victory for him. Um, so they certainly robbed him of that moment and the momentum that comes with it. Um, and for Bernie, it also, similar, they robbed him of a moment. Um, you know, winning Iowa for him would be big, and he doesn't get a chance to get in front of the cameras and have that, you know, people behind him and and. You know, you don't get on the front pages of the Des Moines Register. You don't get on the, you know, all, you know, I know newspapers have lost a little value in terms of what they mean, but they still hold some value. You know, the Des Moines Register today has a, you know, an undecided news cover where if Pete would have won and would have been, you know, his face would have been plastered all over that. So there's some free marketing benefits that they they get out. You know, ultimately they're going to have to, you know, all these campaigns are nimble. They're built that way. They're going to figure out how to respond. And uh, New Hampshire becomes the new Iowa, it seems like, at the moment. Um, so, you know, still a lot to be shuffled
0: out. It also raises the question about our ability in this country to hold elections and do it right. I, I often shake my head when I hear about. Uh, well, the United States has sent so-and-so to some other country to help them uh, oversee or guide them in, in, in running elections. And I think, really? We're having trouble running our own here. And it seems like it's becoming a bigger problem all the time. And you would think in 2020, with the advancements and the technology, and I realize it was an app, maybe part of the problem last night. But it just seems like we shouldn't be having these problems, not just in Iowa, but we, every election we seem to hear about these problems, uh, maybe not to this extent, but problems all over the country.
3: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're certainly going to draw a lot of scrutiny on the, the caucus process, which is obviously an odd bird in the, uh, in, the, in the election process. A lot of room for human error. Um, they were reporting different results this year, so there were three sets of uh, results they were reporting, which compounded the issue. Um, you know, it's an intimate affair, and I, it's actually my first time seeing it, and I and I it was really amazed, and I, I I truly you know appreciate people going there and speaking in front of their family and friends. I think all that is great. It it may be past its time though, right? Um, there's a simpler, uh, more streamlined approach available alternative than the caucus uh, system, and if Iowa
0: wants to preserve its first in the nation status it may have to give up the caucus yeah there's there just seems to be that there ought to be a better way and i'm not taking away from the countless election officials and volunteers who who do give their time and 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 care about the process and and they uh, they they work long hours uh but sometimes i just think they may be in a system that doesn't allow (laughs) to, to work as uh as smoothly as it should in many cases
3: yeah, well, you know, you you've been to Iowa, right? And Wi Fi is yeah. not the best. You don't get great coverage. All and then you're relying on an app, perhaps uh, in some areas. You're probably relying on on older folks to, to 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 operate the app to log in. So some of the issues just might have been just like you know lack of uh, familiarity with that stuff. You know, bad internet connections. I mean, you're. I think there was a lot of I think in hindsight people are going to realize how you know uh how risky I, I don't know what the word i'm looking for how, how apparent some of these issues that emerged were and that they should have tr- troubleshooted them in the first place and i think that's you know that will be the story um you know you, yeah. you're relying on people that and, and in places where there may not be as
0: great uh, uh
3: uh technology might not be that great so i i think that 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 will be one of the key issues that comes out
0: yeah it uh Certainly kind of raises the curtain, lets us see some of those problems that need to be worked on and resolved, that's for sure. Well, Jarrett, hope you get some rest. Uh, Probably uh, you're on to New Hampshire, right? uh, Next week.
3: Uh,
2: We have somebody up there now. I'll be up there in a few
0: days. Okay. Safe travels. Thanks, Jarrett. We'll talk again Uh, soon. Jarrett Renshaw, political reporter for Reuters, checking in from Iowa here on AOA.
6: The patented Pod Shatter Reduction Technology Canola Hybrids from InVigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF Seed Advisor today. Always read and follow label directions.
1: Adam's on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you what you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests who are important to the ag industry. It's information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adam's on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network.
0: The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Kristol. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Inogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers.
6: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we are trending higher in early activity on a Tuesday for livestock at the Merck. Trending higher in cattle. It's been a mixed affair so far in lean hog futures. Concerns about coronavirus' effect on Chinese pork demand has sent cutout values on a steep drop In the past week, carcass values have fallen 8%, with particular cutouts like pork bellies and hams posting bigger losses. Many cutouts posting slight improvements in trade on Monday. It's still unclear how long coronavirus will bog down prices. Both live cattle and lean hog futures trended higher in early trade. According to INTL FC Stone, domestic travel restrictions in China due to coronavirus Hurting their livestock industry thanks to the constriction of animal feed availability. An hour into the day, in lean hog futures, April near steady at 62.72. Live cattle, April up 47 at 121.20. Feeder cattle, April up 37 at 138.72. We're waiting for cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains after live deals at 122 last week, two dollars per hundredweight lower. Than the prior week grain futures trended higher in the overnight trade an hour into the tuesday day trade we are still in positive territory march soybeans up four at 881 march corn up three and three quarters at 382 and a half chicago wheat march up six at 561 and a half kansas city march up six at 472 and three quarters minneapolis spring wheat march up four and a half 537 and a half. The Dow up 414 points, crude oil up 25 cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
7: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, when will China's purchases of U.S. ag products, according to the Phase 1 trade deal, really kick in? that was expected to be later in the year anyway but uh, will coronavirus uh, set that back even more let's talk about it with steve meyer economist with kearns and associates steve thank you for joining us uh, what impact do you see this coronavirus situation having on uh, china's purchases of u.s ag products in general pork products in particular
8: well mike um, you know by the way good morning um, it is uh, it is pretty unknown what this might do the big thing that this virus has done, we think in the last couple of weeks it's just slowed down the level of economic activity in China. When you start shutting down cities of millions of people and blocking tra- travel and those kinds of things, you just you, you just slow down the economic engine that's there.
7: And I think that's
8: the big impact here is can you get people to work? Can you get people, you know, can you move feed around? Can you move animals around? Can you move know product around? and you get the stores, uh, the stocks, the store shelves stock, um, you know, we think it's going to cause a slowdown, no question. But, um, you know, once they start lifting these, there's probably going to be a little more compensatory you know, kind of makeup demand for some of these products as well. So, um, um, you know, it, it's certainly not the best news we could have in the short run here. Uh, if they can kind of get it under control and, By the way, the Chinese government has done a lot better job of being transparent and kind of taking the measures they need to take on this one than they have in the past, so we're encouraged by that. So, um, uh, you know, it's been about the last thing on my list of uh, something to complicate the situation, but uh, as long as they keep doing the things they need to, um, obviously we're going to have a a hiccup here in in the short run. We don't think it has long-term implications.
0: Yeah, as you point out, there are a lot of levels to it, the transportation and just the <laughs> overall impact on the slowing of the economy and all that, all that plays a part. So we'll see what, what happens there. Meanwhile, uh, before coronavirus, we were talking about African swine fever. That continues to spread and a lot of concerns in Europe. How could that impact? We know they're a big pork producing uh, region of the world. Uh, how is African swine fever impacting European pork production?
8: Well, it, it, it hasn't impacted it a lot yet. I mean, most most of what they've had in at least uh, Western Europe has been cases in wild boar. There were a few in commercial hogs in Poland, uh, but it's gotten very close to, to Germany. And Germany's the big deal. I mean, uh, Germany is kind of the Iowa of the EU. There are a lot of cakes flow in there for feeding and for slaughter, and then the product flows back out, both to the EU and the international customers. And so if Germany breaks... The question is, what will China do? Because they're bringing in a significant amount of product from Germany. That's the largest single supplier to China. And, you know, do they cut them off? Uh, We think they almost have to because running the risk of bringing in infected product makes their cleanup efforts even worse. And so if they do, then that that leaves, you know, Canada, the United States, Brazil, and the rest of the EU for, for the time being. Now, Spain is the next largest uh, supplier from the EU, uh, but uh, you know, it It remains to be seen. But if it gets to Germany, this could be a very big deal because that would force the Chinese hand, I think, uh, in buying from the U.S. I don't think they would have really any any choice but to come here, and uh, I think they'd have to make some, some important changes
0: to get that done. So we'll watch that. Swine fever, if it uh, does hit Germany, that uh, may open up the door for more sales from U.S. and some others into China. We're talking with Steve Meyer with Kearns and Associates. Steve, there's talk about maybe they're uh, coming up with a vaccine for African swine fever. But seemingly that takes a while. Don't you have to test that out and then uh, you have to ramp up production and the distribution? Uh, How soon do you think if this is is indeed the vaccine, how long before it really would uh, have an impact on this? Well,
8: it's years away here in the United States. I mean, it's good that they've made an a, a, um, a, uh, encouraging finding on this gene-deleted vaccine. That's great. But we still got to get this thing developed. we got to make sure we can produce it. we got to get it in field trials. We've got to make sure it's safe. There's so many things that have to happen here to get this thing out into the uh, out into years. Now, we think that the Chinese can probably duplicate what we've done so far. But and their regulatory system would probably not be nearly as onerous as ours. So it could be get into China faster, but you're still probably a year or two away from even having a vaccine. And then if you got it in China, you got to make three or four hundred million doses of it. Uh, that's no small chat, task. So that news that was run through the market again last week it is no more news than what we had a couple of months ago about this gene deleted vaccine. Uh, but uh, we're a long ways from having a vaccine that could go to the field.
0: Yeah, it's not imminent, uh, that's for sure. Uh, All right, let's talk about uh, your uh, outlook, your price outlook for this year. Uh, How do you feel? What kind of year we're going to have for pork producers? Well, we thought it
8: was going to be a decent one. Uh, Certainly sold off the futures market pretty hard. Still got profits for this year, but not nearly as large as they were. Cost of production are down. It really all depends on what happens with international demand. One of the problems right now is we've got supplies, lots of supplies heading toward us, and that's going to get worse as the year goes on, and we think we're going to have a real problem with slaughter capacity come the fourth quarter, uh, so we've got to have exports. It's important that we grow exports from where we were last year. You know, with 27% 27% increase in exports, in my model, we had hogs up in the mid-80s this summer, and that's the best I could do on them, but we also got them down back into the high 50s in the fourth quarter.
7: So it's going
8: to be a challenging year. I would say if we rally this futures market coming out of this sell-off of the last week or so, we rally it back to where it was before then. Producers should be taking a lot of price coverage.
0: So you're not quite as uh, optimistic as you were uh, not too long ago for the outlook for this year? No, I'm not.
8: Well, I mean, how can you be after the last week? Uh, We think the fundamentals have not changed. But uh, we, we certainly think that uh, the situation on the future certainly has taken away some pricing opportunities that we had.
0: But we've got a lot of pork and a lot of protein in this country overall. We need to move. That's absolutely right. And let's look, look at the uh, the slaughter capacity. I know you've you've been concerned about uh, the plants. Do we do we have the capacity that we need? Uh, what's the latest on that situation? You think?
8: Well, we were tight this fall. We, we made it. We got through it. Uh, not a problem. And we're going to get a little more expansion. I mean, uh, you're going to get the Preston's plant up full. They're at the 8,500. They could go to 10,000. We're going to get a small plant at, uh, in Minnesota. We're going to get it uh, up and running. Um, it's 2,250. But those are kind of incremental increases in capacity for this next year. And uh, we're going to be pushing 2.7 and 2.8 million head a week in some weeks in the fourth quarter. So this is going to be a critical situation. There are no other increases in capacity going to come this year and probably not next year. We could have a double shift at the Holstone Foods plant in 2022, and you could add another shift at Prestige or at Coldwater, Michigan, but that's not going to happen in 2020. So um, uh, we're going to push it very hard. We've expanded the sow herd, and most importantly, we have two other factors. Productivity has grown dramatically. We've had three percent larger litters in the last three quarters than we did a year earlier, and we've got about as good a herd health situation as we've had in the United States in a long, long time. So, when you get those pigs uh, weaned and get them in a nursery or get them in a weaned to finish building, uh, they're they're not dying, and so uh, we've got great health situation and survivability, and that means that you have a lot of pigs at the end of the at,
0: at the end of the feeding period. So, what is the market signal being sent to pork producers, and certainly, uh, grain farmers are watching this too because they're wondering about how much they're going to be able to sell for feed uh, to the uh, to the pork industry.
8: Yeah, until the last week, we still haven't seen any kind of uh, slowdown signals. Uh, I don't think. I mean, we had we had for average producers twelve, fifteen dollars per profit per head for the year. You're not going to get any kind of cutback at that. Now, with this sell-off of the last week, and if we get into more problems, then maybe we'll see, get a tap the brakes. But we've got the supply for 2020 pretty well already determined with the sows that are bred and the pigs that are on the ground. So I, I don't see much way of avoiding that situation. The question is, will the losses get large enough to cause us to start reducing supplies into 2021?
0: So, as we've said so often, the key still remains on those export markets. China will have a big part to play in that, uh, and, we're, and there's still a lot of unknowns there.
8: Absolutely. And,
0: and, you know, we didn't get much
8: clarity out of the Phase 1 deal. We understand that February 15th is an important day, but we're not really sure what's going to happen on the pork side. There's still not been any talk about rolling back those punitive tariffs, and I think we've got to do that to move us up the line of suppliers to China. Right now, It's the EU, Brazil, Canada, and we're at the end of the line. Uh, If we get those tariffs cut back, I think we could move up in that line, and that would certainly help our prospects.
0: All right, Steve, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Take care of that voice, too, okay? You bet.
8: Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All
0: right. Take care. Steve Meyer, an economist with Kearns & Associates, he's been fighting a Uh, Throat uh, bug here lately, so his voice wasn't the strongest. But I thought he made some uh, great points things to watch. African swine fever in Europe. If it gets to Germany, that'll be the key because they're a big supplier into China. That would seemingly force China, if that happened in Germany, it would seemingly force China to look elsewhere, maybe more to Canada and the US. So we'll keep a close eye on that. So, as he pointed out, the coronavirus does have an impact on a lot of different levels and certainly changing a lot of things with all the optimism of the U.S.-China trade deal. And already it wasn't really going to kick in much till later in the year. Does this delay it even more? How concerned should we be about that? We're going to talk about it with Joe Globber. He is a former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. That's next. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
9: 180 over 111
0: The Renewable Fuels Association's 25th Annual National Ethanol Conference will be held February 10th through the 12th in Houston, Texas. Speakers include USDA Undersecretary for Trade Ted McKinney, Neil Curler, founder and CEO of Pacific Ethanol, Inc., and political analyst Bill Crystal. Registration is still available. For more information or to register, visit www.nationalethanolconference.com. This message brought to you by Syngenta, maker of Inogen, enhancing fuel ethanol production and supporting American farmers.
1: Time is money, right? And money?
4: Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Senex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Senex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place unless it's the highway. Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
7: Do you like what you're
3: hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, important to agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online.
0: recently on atoms on agriculture we're talking with the president of the national corn growers association kevin ross kevin you're back from a trade mission along with the u.s grains council tell us about it
3: we went to uh vietnam and and met with some uh large importers there one of the ones i'll I'll bring up is cp industries and they're uh, the largest feed miller in the world Uh, met with those folks certainly a big customer and some people that uh, we've worked with the grains council especially has worked with for a long time
8: um, also had a chance to meet with the ambassador for Vietnam,
3: I had good conversations with him about the potential uh, and the future of that market and what you know, where it's been. It's, it's an amazing economy from where it's been just in the last 15 years. And so it's growing fast there in Vietnam. It's number three importer of DDGs, uh, six or seven in direct corn
0: imports and, and uh, an emerging market for ethanol. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
1: And we're
0: joined now by Joe Globber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, thank you for joining us. There were already questions about China's purchases under the phase one trade deal. Just would they be as high as uh, they've, we've been told? And even if they are, when will they actually kick in? It was expected not to be later in the year anyway. Now we have the coronavirus situation. Do you see that? delaying that phase one trade deal even more? Well,
9: um, yeah, I think a lot just depends, Mike, on what happens with coronavirus over the next uh, month or so. Uh, You know, we know it's bigger than SARS. Um, I, I went back to kind of look at the data in 2003, and, you know, the data, frankly, isn't all that great. Uh, quality. But you look at per capita consumption of of food products, they didn't really slip much in China uh, over that period. But, you know, uh, certainly this coronavirus is a bigger threat, I think. Uh, And certainly China is both more populous than it was then, and and they have much higher income. So, you know, we we see these signs of, of the, that a lot of the Factories and things like that are shut for the time being. Uh, uh, right now, it looks like they'll be shut until next Monday. Uh, they contribute a lot. I mean, it's just was staggering amount. Something like seventy uh, percent of their GDP and eighty percent of their exports, uh, largely industrial exports, obviously. But um, you know, uh, hopefully that market gets back on track soon. And and uh, thus far, I think that that it's all very temporary, and I would expect that that. If things get back and it doesn't spread, you know, to to uh, real big pandemic proportions, then we're talking uh, um, a little delay. But uh, expect that they would we be seeing purchases later in the year.
0: But their economy, the Chinese economy, wasn't
9: doing that well before this. No, that's right. I mean, they're they're at the lowest. Uh, growth rate, I think, in 20 years, something like that, and and this is going to take a uh, if it's prolonged, will certainly take a, a big hit out of their um, out of their GDP. the 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 government itself is doing everything it can to to keep the economy moving. It's pumped a lot of money into the economy uh, recent uh, over the last week, and that's helped. Certainly, the markets here have shown uh, a positive response to those moves. Um, but you know the real issue, I think, will be the impact on on retail sales. Uh, you know, is this going to really hurt pork consumption? You know, we've we've seen this uh, uh, positive move from our standpoint with with purchases of pork and and hopefully other meats. Um, but that, those are the sorts of things you worry about: is if this is a big drag on the economy, one, and um, uh, you know what what sort of impact will that have on on higher uh, value consumer items like meats and other things, which then again translate into, um, uh, for us, you know, uh, impact on both meat products, but also obviously uh, corn and soybeans as well. Meanwhile, here at home, Joe, obviously our economy
0: is in many ways and in, in, in many important sectors is, is booming, uh, unemployment down, the stock market record levels, so many things happening. But the ag economy has not uh, enjoyed that boom that the rest of the economy has. And we've seen more numbers here lately about farm bankruptcies being
9: high. Yeah, I know I mean, the, you know, the, the farm economy has been soft for a number of years now. I mean, we're, we've, we've seen uh, since coming down off those record highs that we saw in 2012, 13, 14. Um, you know, the encouraging thing, I think, is that land values still are holding up. Um, the 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 bankruptcy rates are are up. Uh, I think the numbers over this last year were up twenty percent over a year before, but they're still below two thousand eleven levels. Even I mean they're they're still. I, I don't mean to make light of it, but these are still numbers that are are numbers that we've seen within you know recent memory, um, and certainly well well below the 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 crisis numbers we saw in the nineteen eighties, um, but you know, you know, this economy, the farm economy has been looking for for a a good break and, um, you know, hopefully we'll see something with these China um, sales eventually and and get more of a normal relationship back with them.
0: Yeah. When I say farm bankruptcies are high, I should have said higher than they've been recently. Not as high as you said, you know, if you look historically, like compared to the 80s or something like that. But certainly you have to wonder. If this downturn continues, we need to see some uh, some improvement here in the ag economy before long or those numbers will be continuing to go higher.
9: Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And and, uh, let me also uh, correct my statement just in saying that that I think the, the trends certainly are not you know, they have been going up and, um, they've been going up for the last couple of years. And so, so have, uh, loan delinquencies and other measures that we look at They're again, they're in the broader context, they're still fairly low, but, uh, you know, you don't, anytime you sort of see these things increasing, you, you definitely want to track it. And the fact that, that I think, you know, for a lot of producers, they've looked at, at these supplemental payments as being very, very, uh, important in, in making, um, you know, helping with, with purchases and other sorts of things. Yeah, more, the,
0: the last of those coming out uh, seemingly this week from what we hear, but it does bring the question, could we see more of those uh, this coming year? It, it's possible, I suppose, if uh, the China deal doesn't kick in uh, by election time. I'm wondering if we might see more.
9: Well, yeah, I think thus far we haven't seen any signs from China that they would – uh, you know there are there are terms in that agreement that would allow them to get out of of, of commitments. Uh, thus far, we haven't seen them uh, move that way, but it's an election year and. Uh, I've seen a lot of crazy things happen in election years when it comes to farm programs.
0: <laughs> We're already seeing some crazy things happening in this election year based on what we yeah. saw last <laughs> night. So you, you stay tuned for this year. Right, It'll be a wild ride, I would imagine. Joe, good to talk right, with you. Thank you, you very mind. much. Okay, Bye. take care. That's Joe Globber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. That wraps it up for today. So glad you could join us. Thanks for being with us here on AOA. Have a great day, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.